The evil sheep. I utterly loathe sheep. They are the one living thing I hate. The very sight of them fills me with horror and if by chance I get close to even the youngest, wooliest, and skippiest lamb, I become faint with terror and physically sick with fear. This was not always so for I used to regard sheep as rather stupid decorative creatures, with the charming habit of producing lovable little lambs each springtime. But that all changed on May Day Eve, two years ago, in the churchyard of the South Dorset village of Wenkham. I don't live in Wenkham. I am a Londoner, a carpenter by trade specializing in restoration work and having a good reputation for detailed carving. I have done work in old churches and it was this that took me to this seemingly peaceful spot. The vicar there had heard of me and wrote asking if I would care to undertake the repair of some of the church pews. He made an attractive offer as to payment. With accommodation provided at the bell and all expenses paid. I made a special journey down to Winkham and, liking what I saw, agreed to carry out the necessary repairs. By the middle of April I had taken up residence in the inn and was ready to start. The Church of St. Martin dated from the 13th century and apart from the names on the memorial wall tablets, which identified its locality, could have been any English country church. It was some 200 yards from the pub and stood in a large well-kept churchyard, roughly triangular in shape. The left-hand boundary, as you face the church from the road was a broad, deep, and well-filled ditch, the right a tall thick thorn hedge in which a farm gate was set. And by the road, an old brick and flint wall with a fine wrought iron gate midway along it. On the other side of the hedge was a long shed which was used as a workshop. It contained a carpenter's bench and a fair amount of equipment which I found useful for I did of course use it for my own purposes. By the side of the shed was stacked several fine oak planks of a good size and well seasoned. These were the material I would work from. All the pews in the church were of oak and had originally been installed in the year 1570. The pew ends were plain except for the top, which in each case, was carved in the form of a lamb each of which faced the altar. Those with which I was concerned were all towards the back and the vicar told me that serious damage had been done to them in 1805. This had been repaired after a fashion, as was obvious, and had been a constant cause of dissatisfaction. But until now the money to do a proper job had not been available, but a bequest some time earlier had provided the financial wherewithal. The pew ends themselves were undamaged but the seats of some and the backs of all had to be replaced. Some carving was called for and this would take time and care. I decided that I would remove each pew completely from the church and take it over to the shed to repair. This I was easily accomplished as there was always someone available to help me carry them to and fro. This let me to work in more light than I would have had in the church. Also, of course, I did not have to worry about shavings and general mess, of which there was plenty, not only of sawdust and shavings from the new seats and backs, but also from the retaining pegs. I fashioned these from the old wood in which I used instead of nails. In fact, I made a lot of these and always had a hundred or so available. My task was a pleasant one. I stayed at work each day at 8 a.m., worked till 12.30 p.m., had a lunch break till 2 p.m., and worked on until it was too dark to carry on in comfort. The evenings were spent in the bar of the bell playing darts with the locals and chatting to the landlord who was an amiable and garrulous man. A wholehearted purveyor of both news and rumor and one who loved his native village deeply, he had its history at his fingertips. It was from him I learned of the history of the church pews which were the subject of my work. You mean you don't know what happened to them? He asked. I shook my head. You're about the only one in the village that doesn't then. They got smashed up in the old witchcraft business, back in the 1800s it was. You sure you don't know? I assured him I didn't, ordered another pint and asked for the story which he was undoubtedly dying to tell and which, to my surprise, he related with the utmost conviction and in a suddenly hushed bar for everyone else in there stopped what they were doing and listened also.
many of them regarding me gravely the meanwhile. In the year 1800 he began. Wincombe had a new vicar. By all accounts he was a strange fellow and after a year or so, very odd stories began to be told about him. He got very friendly with a small group of villagers and it wasn't long before the truth was out. He was a devil worshipper. He had formed the group he had collected into a witch's coven and they were holding their rites in the church itself. Of course, not everyone believed this at first and the majority, including the squire, were prepared to give him the benefit of the doubt. And did do so until they too finally became convinced that he was not a man of God. It was the squire's daughter who was responsible for this. The story had been going round for some time that the vicar did not have just one or two familiars. Like most witches but a whole pack of them. Each one in the shape of a sheep and one day the squire's girl saw them. She was out riding and came across them all on the downs that overlooked the village to the west, he was walking along talking to them as they clustered round him and the girl is said to have said later that they were replying in high squeaky voices. They did not see her at first and when they did they all seemed to see her at the same time. They all stopped and gathered together in a close rank glaring at her. There is no doubt she was a brave girl for she called out that she now knew the tales were true. He was evil and she would let everyone know what she had seen. He had then raised his right arm and pointed it at her causing her to sway, sick and fainting on her saddle. But she managed to turn her horse, clap on her spur and make off at a full gallop. Chased by that devilish flock of sheep which were after her in full cry, like a pack of hell hounds. By a miracle she got home to the hall, reported what she had seen to her father, who promptly wrote a full account to the bishop demanding the vicar's removal. The date was the 28th of April, 1805. The letter still exists, it's in the new vicarage here, anyone can see it with that date on the top. No one is certain of what happened after that except that the squire sent the letter off by a trusted servant and went himself to a neighbor to get help. Leaving his daughter in the care of the members of his household. When he got back in the early hours of the next day she had vanished. And despite a frantic search could not be found. She was still missing when dusk fell on the 30th of April, May Day Eve, and by this time the squire was beside himself with dread for her safety. Most of the people in the village and neighborhood were in fear too. But mostly for their own safety, not the girls and they were reluctant to be out after dark. So the squire was alone when he reached the church guided by an impulse he could not explain. The inside of the church was lit by a vivid blue light by which he could see his daughter stretched out on the altar. Behind the altar, and facing him, was a robed figure he recognized as the vicar. Facing the altar with their backs to him were a dozen robed and cowled figures. On either side stood shapes in the form of sheep which, as the squire entered turned and looked directly at him their eyes glowing red in the darkness. All this was told by the squire afterwards, but there was another witness. The village drunk. He had had a skin full in the inn that same morning and had gone into the churchyard to sleep it off. It had rained during the early afternoon and this had driven him into the church itself where he had taken refuge in the gallery and had slept there soundly until he was woken up by chanting. He had peeped over the rail and what he saw made him think he'd died in his sleep and gone straight to hell. In any case he was still peering goggle-eyed when the squire went into the church. His story was that the squire stopped inside the door let out a cry of horror and implored heaven to save his daughter. Then there was turmoil, the sheep all rushed at the squire who seized up a processional cross from its stand by the back pews and started to lay about with it to defend himself. The members of the coven were so alarmed that they made a mad rush for the door getting caught up with the sheep and the squire, who was doing great work with the cross which, the drunk said, seemed to have taken on the weight of a battle mace. Every time he hit one of the sheep with it the creature disappeared completely while the cross, carrying on in the arc of its travel, would connect with one of the pews and knock a large lump out of it. When the cross hit one of the coven they were knocked clean across the church. 
To the drunk it was clear that their part of the church was rapidly being wrecked and that the squire was holding his own, the sheep could not get at him, the coven could not get past him but he could not advance from his position towards his daughter. Then something happened which stopped the proceedings dead. A small speck of brilliant light appeared in the center of the church and rapidly grew in intensity and form until it took on the form of a large man dressed in a long flowing robe. The figure which had its back to the squire and the drunk, then moved slowly towards the altar and vicar who had come round to the front of it. As the distance between them lessened the vicar changed his shape to became a large sheep although his face remained the same. The figure then picked him up and put him over his shoulder in the classic position of a biblical shepherd carrying a lamb and walked across the church towards the wall on the right side of the chancel, there was a sudden flare of light and blast of heat as though a furnace door had been opened. The figure seemed to cast the vicar into the glare and then there was instant quiet and the church was dark and empty, but for the girl, the squire and the drunk. What about all the characters the squire was knocking about with his cross mace? I asked, was there no sign of them? No, none at all and no one ever knew who they were either. None of the villagers of the time would admit to having been in the church and none were ever seen with any bruises or injuries but it is on record that some dissatisfied types did lead better lives after that night. What a strange story. Surely no one ever believed it? Oh yes they did, and still do one of the listeners put in. Yes said the landlord, they all believed it all right. The squire erected a memorial in the church to his daughter's deliverance, a window. It is still there. The church was reconsecrated. No one would live in the old vicarage. It was so badly haunted. It stood empty for a good two years before being knocked down. The new vicarage was built on the other side of the church, that's all right. Nothing haunts that. He paused and looked meaningfully at me. Are you saying that you believe the church is haunted? I asked. No I am not saying that at all. I know it's not. It was, as I said, reconsecrated. But I know the churchyard is. This was confirmed by a general murmur of agreement by those standing round me and one said you watch out mister, don't you ever be in that churchyard after dark. Yes. Endorse the landlord, certainly not now that May Day Eve is getting near. People have gone out of their minds in that churchyard at night. There was another murmur of agreement and they all got to totaling up the number of lunatics they, their parents and grandparents knew whose mental condition was due to being in the churchyard after dark. It seemed to be quite a number and as they were so deadly serious I did not voice my skepticism but ordered another drink instead. Shortly after someone suggested a game of darts and the gloom that had settled over us all lifted and I put what I had heard right out of my mind. Shortly after that while going backwards and forwards across the churchyard, I began to notice sheep, a small flock of them. The first time I saw them was as I was going back to the church after lunch, they were about 50 yards away from where I was at the gate and were moving out of my sight round the far corner of the church. They were all bunched together and, as I said, I only saw the backs of them. From then on I saw them on a number of occasions. Not always from the same place and neither were they in the same position or moving in the same direction but they always moved out of my sight round a corner of the church and always the distance between them, and me, decreased but although I was finally as close as ten yards or so, to them I never got to see anything but their rumps before they turned out of my view. I had noticed before that the grass in the churchyard was always neat and tidy and I had seen an old chap working away with a mower and shears but I was nevertheless of the opinion that a farmer had the right to graze sheep in the churchyard. A good idea, I thought. It helps keep the grass down and no doubt brings in a small but useful revenue for the church. The vicar made a point of coming to see me every day either in the mid-morning or afternoon and I always knocked off for a spell and had a smoke and a chat. On the day the distance between the sheep and I had been the shortest I had ever known, he called in at 4 p.m. The day was still sunny and we sat on a bench on the churchyard side of the hedge. 
The angle of the sun was just right, throwing a pattern of shadows across the grass and the grave stones that was almost breathtaking in its beauty. We smoked our pipes in silence for a while and then I said. I think this is the loveliest place I have ever seen, not only has it a beautiful setting but it's also so nicely kept. I must say I admire your idea of letting sheep graze in the churchyard. It certainly keeps the grass down. I have heard of goats being used but not sheep. I congratulate you. It's a good idea. He sat very still and then took his pipe out of his mouth and turned and looked steadily at me. Sheep, he said slowly. You have seen sheep in the churchyard? I nodded, yes on a number of occasions but always on the move, passing through as it were and now I come to think I haven't ever actually seen them grazing so I suppose they were just taking a shortcut. I suppose it is possible that they could have been moving from point A to B each time. Yes. I suppose so. Thank you for telling me. I'll look into it. I think a lot of my parishioners would object to those sheep being in the churchyard. I'll make inquiries. With that he nodded his thanks, got up and left me and I went back to work. And did not see the sheep again between then and when I knocked off on the following Saturday at tea time, to be precise about it, at 4 o'clock on Saturday the 30th of April. By that time I had very nearly finished what I had contracted to do and only the last row of pews remained to be repaired. I went into the lounge bar of the bell at about 7.30 that night. And was very soon engaged in a fairly determined darts match. The bar was really packed and the thought fleetingly occurred to me that everyone there was determined to be happy and carefree come what may. But I could not think of any reason why they should be and I dismissed the thought as quickly as it came. Then, at about nine, I broke my pipe. You know how these things happen, just like that. A split second happening. One moment it was intact and I was knocking it out, the next I was still knocking and it had snapped in two. It was annoying but I had a spare in my room. And I left the bar to get it. Halfway up the stairs I stopped remembering that my spare was not in my room but in the workshed. I could distinctly see it on the workbench just where I had left it by the vice. Now this was more annoying for I really would have to go and get it. If I did not then my pleasure would be spoilt and the evening ruined. No, there was nothing for it I'd have to go. I retraced my steps to the bar and asked the landlord if I could borrow a torch. He asked why and I told him. He gaped at me and for a moment I thought he would faint but he recovered a bit and just gobbled at me for a while. Not long, but long enough to attract the attention of most of the people in the bar, who pressed round to see what was wrong with him. He stopped stuttering and gasped out you can't go up there. You just can't, not tonight of all nights. It's utter madness to go up there. There was a murmur of agreement from those clustered round me and someone actually caught hold of my sleeve. This made me angry and I, shook him off saying to everyone there listen here, I want my pipe, if I don't get it my evening will be spoiled and I don't intend to let your local legends ruin what is every possibility of being a very happy time. Please lend me a torch so I can go and get the damn thing. The landlord tried again. Can't you smoke cigars for tonight? You can have them on the house. I insisted that I would prefer to smoke my own pipe. So, very reluctantly he reached under the bar and produced a large hand lantern which he handed to me. The batteries are new, he said they'll give a good strong light. Keep it on all the time and don't hang about up there. Get your pipe and come straight back please, promise. The combination of his plea and obvious unhappiness made me feel sorry for him. He believes all this, he really does, I said to myself so, keeping back the joke that I was about to make, I nodded and said I promise. They fell away and formed a path to the door and I walked out of the pub in dead silence. The customers reminded me of mourners standing round a grave at a funeral. I shivered as I went. Outside it was as black as the Earl of Hell's hat, cloud had come up quite obscuring any moon or starlight that could have been expected and I was glad of the torch as I directed the strong beam of light in front of me.
A small wind sprang up as I walked along, moaning dismally round the eaves and chimney pots and increasing in strength as I neared the church, gusting strongly as I got to the iron gate so that, under pressure of the wind, the gate swung open before me. I stepped through and, the wind dropping, the gate swung to behind me. It's as well I am not superstitious. I thought and stepped out smartly for the shed. The pipe was where I had left it and putting the lamp on the bench I picked it up and started to fill it. As I did so the door, which I had left ajar, slammed shut and latched itself, the wind was gusting again. When my pipe was going well I picked up the lamp and went to the door, lifted the latch and pushed. It remained shut. I pushed harder and it refused to budge. Damn it stuck I thought, and backing off a bit, took a run and put my shoulder to it, with all my weight behind it. The door moved about an inch and then slammed shut again. What had happened? Certainly the door was jammed and the only thing I could think of was that the wind had blown a tree down and that was across the door. Yes of course that was it, must be, the door had closed with a terrific bang obviously caused by the tree hitting it. I walked to the window by the side of the door and shone the lamp through it. There was no sign of a tree or any other obstruction lying across the door. However, I did see something else. Remember that all this time the wind was gusting wildly but when I shone the light through the window I could see no sign of the gusts affecting the bushes and trees outside. I directed the bean on to the chestnuts that grew on either side of the path through the churchyard. They were perfectly still. Yet the wind had reached gale force and was so noisy that one would have had difficulty speaking above it. By this time I was worried I went back to the door and pushed. It opened about six inches and before it slammed shut again I glimpsed a fat woolly back. A sheep, I gasped there's a flock of sheep huddled up against the hut. I went to the window again and looked out. There was definitely a small flock of sheep outside all grouped together and packed up against the hut and with their backs to me. At that point I did not stop to consider where they had come from, for there had been no sight of them when I had first looked out of the window. And how if I had not seen them there, the door was jammed? I was so relieved I just said, oh sheep what a shock you lot gave me and walked to the door again, pushed it and shouted, go on there you stupid things go away. The door remained fast and from the other side of it came a very human noise, a low, definite and positively evil snigger. It froze the blood in my veins and caused my hair to rise. I stood stock still while everything I had heard of the churchyard and the old vicar's sheep raced through my mind and I wished wholeheartedly that I had paid attention to the landlord and the others and was back in the pub playing darts and smoking a cigar. Anywhere, anything other than the wretched hut in the terrible churchyard. I managed to get a grip on myself and forced my shaking wits to concentrate on the problem of getting out and away. How to do it? I had to get over to the gate, there was no way out to the village except there. But first I had to get out of the hut and pass the sheep. The big window opposite the door was the obvious answer and it was the work of seconds to move over to it and gently open it up. Moving as quietly as I could I climbed carefully though and made my way gingerly towards a small gap which I knew existed in the hedge some forty yards from the hut. I got there without incident and as I crouched down to get through it the wind suddenly stilled, the cloud cleared and the moon shone through lighting up the whole of the churchyard. Glancing to my left I could see that the hut door was no longer obstructed and there was no sign of the sheep either there or anywhere else that I could see. What was important was that the weight of the gate was clear and taking my chance I sprang up and raced for the gate, and as I did the cloud covered the moon again and the wind sprang up. I had got about a third of the way when I tripped on a grave curb and went sprawling headlong. A snigger echoed the sound of my fall. I did not have to look to know that they were there. All round me hemming me in and closing it on me. I could sense them and there came from all round me a cold clammy blast of air which the raging wind did nothing to dispel. A clogging stench like rotting meat and singing hair rolled over me, catching at the back of my throat causing me to cough and choke. 
The smell seemed to be almost and I fancied I could feel it plugging my nose so that I gasped for air and nearly fainted. I fell to my knees on the grave. It was this that saved me then for my right knee banged on the lamp. And snatching it up I switched on. The bright beam of light shot out and lit up the beast in front of me. To my fury the sheep slowly began to fade and become transparent as the beam played on it. I focused the light onto another and that started to fade. Then another and that did too and I understood that there was a way of escape, all I had to do was shine the light on the sheep that were between me and the gate and then move towards it as they faded. Excitedly I faced towards the gate again. I shone the beam directly in front of me. In its light was not one beast but dozens all crowded together between me and the gate. And presenting a very solid obstacle. Thankfully though in the light of the torch they started to fade and I thought my scheme would succeed. But then they all looked directly at me and all their eyes glowed in the dark like live coals. While the light of my lamp lost its brilliance and started to dim, gradually fainter and fainter until it went out. They started to advance on me then moving in the bumbling jostling way that sheep do. But they did not baa as ordinary sheep do when they are excited. No, these things sniggered. They closed in on me sniggering as if in anticipation, as if they were going to a banquet. My reverie broke then and dropping the lamp one turned and ran away from the gate and towards the church, I had the idea that I could gain sanctuary there but it was not to be for I had not gone five or six paces when they were in front of me again. Still advancing closer and still sniggering. I turned back to the gate again and again. They were there. Backwards and sideways, this way and that I turned and jumped but always they were there. In front of me and forcing me back until there was only one way I could go, back to the hut. Of course I went back, there was nothing else I could do. There was no other way I could go. I wrenched the door open and fell into the hut slamming the door behind me feeling grateful as I did so, that I had gained a refuge although I knew in my mind that I had only gained a very brief reprieve for those things were out to get me, and that unless I could get away from them I was doomed and probably damned also. The wind still howled and raged outside but inside all was calm and still. I forced myself to act responsibly and the first thing I did was to go over and shut the window. I had got out of, which was just as well for I had no sooner done so than one of the things reared up and its slanting red eyes glared at me through the glass for an instant before falling out of sight again. I forced myself to go over to the windows and peer out of each in turn. They were there packed in round the hut about six deep in an unbroken ring. They were heaving and pulsating as though they were each parts of a muscular ring tightening on the hut with the intention of smashing it. I compelled myself to go back to the bench and sitting on it tried to think the matter out. If I was a long time I would be missed at the pub but would any of the stalwarts there come and look for me? I doubted it very much for I could not see any of them risking it. They were brave enough I was sure in a material sense. But they had already demonstrated their belief in the devil and their fear of his works. No, I would not look for help from that quarter. It was all up to me but what could I do? As I sat there my resolve began to ebb away and I started to fidget about as people do when they are agitated to a point of stress and as I did so my right hand came in contact with a pile of the retaining pegs I had made and I absently picked one up. As I did so there was a splintering crash from the door and it caved in, swinging up from the bottom and turning on its top hinge. While one of the sheep started to force its way in through the gap. I can see it now. The evil devil's head, the glaring red eyes which seemed to light its path before it and then the keen fangs protruding from under the sharp snout. I screamed out in fear and, in a completely involuntarily action, threw the retaining peg at it. It was right on target I saw it hit right between the eyes. There was a spark of white light, a shriek of agony and the sheep just disappeared. In a flash I remembered the squire and the cross and realized what had happened. The pegs, of course, were made from consecrated wood and had the same effect on the sheep that the cross had had. 
I had been given a weapon against them which could get me to safety, if I dared to use it. But to use it properly I would have to go out of the hut for I knew that the disappearance of one had not caused the flock to go. Another glimpse out of the windows quickly confirmed this, they were still surrounding the hut. But they seemed to have drawn off a bit and were no longer pulsating. They were certainly no longer sniggering. A snatch of verse went through my head. He either fears his fate too much, or his deserts are small. Who will not put it to the touch, to win or lose it all? James Graham, Earl of Montrose I recalled and then remembered his end. Well it was good advice and I could think of nothing better. Quickly I collected all the retaining pegs I could find and crammed them into my pockets. And then turned to the pile of chippings on the floor. Taking up all the reasonable sized pieces of wood I could find in the dark. I was a bit worried about this as there were a lot of wooden pieces that had come from unconsecrated wood. But I had to take a chance. Emptying my tool bag I put all the chips and wood pieces in it and went to the door. Summoning up all my fortitude I forced it open and stepped outside. The cold was intense. It hit me like a bludgeon and writhed icy tentacles round me. So diabolically cold, that it almost stunned and entrapped me. Had I not resisted with every fibre of my mental and physical strength I would have fallen helpless to the ground. There and then, but the image of that long dead squire was fast in my mind and I knew that I had to try to do what he had done. And miraculously I found strength to take a tottering step forward, and then another. So that I gradually got to within throwing distance. The sheep also played their part in closing the gap for as I was forcing my way forward, they were closing the ring round me. And I saw they had started to pulsate again. When only some ten feet separated us, I knew I had reached the limit of my endurance and that I had to act. As I reached into my tool bag, I could see that those in front of me had started to turn their heads towards me. The thought of those damned eyes glaring at me again acted as a spur and summoning up the last of my strength I pulled out a large chip of wood and threw it. It flew from my hand as straight as a die and hit the sheep in front of me on the shoulder. At once there was a flash of bright light coupled with a shrill shriek and the creature disappeared leaving for an instant a filmy image of itself on the air. With a surge of newfound strength I sprang through the gap while, the wind howled louder and the ghastly sniggering rose to a crescendo. I did not get very far. To my horror I saw the sheep reforming in front of me. Quite close but just out of range and this time it was head on facing me. Its eyes glaring. This did mean trouble and I suddenly remembered another danger. Those behind me. On looking round I saw that they were all closer and still pulsating. There was though the gap in the circle for the reformed one had not moved forward. I had to get through that gap but I had to guard my rear. Putting my hand into the bag again I pulled out a handful of chippings and scattered them round me in the same way farmers once sowed seed by hand, so that they sprayed out round the sheep ring. There was a series of flashes and screams and a half dozen of the sheep faded leaving a number of gaps in the line. Some of my chips either missed or had been of new wood for the majority of them remained and these started to close the gaps so that they got closer to me. However this time, while I was still very frightened, I was feeling much stronger. It was as if each disappearance of one of the creatures caused my strength to return as though they were drawing energy from me. But if this was the case, I'd get weaker when they reappeared again, so I had to keep their numbers down while I tried to get out. A quick look to the front showed that the one facing me had not moved but there was a stirring in the dark behind it and I saw other sheep forming and a new dread gripped me, either it was not possible to get rid of the things, or more kept coming all the time in either case there would come a time when, I would be outnumbered, or out of weapons. I could not stop where I was. I had to get out. To protect my back I turned and did my seed sowing act again. And then spun round to face forward again, not waiting to see how many had gone. There were though a satisfactory number of screams. That encouragement was badly needed, for the others were advancing and more were forming behind them.
so many now that the whole area between me and the gate was almost blocked and I knew I'd never get out past them. I had not got enough chips. To go back to the hut was pointless. I'd have to fight my way through using up valuable ammunition and there was no guarantee I'd get there. Or, if I did find much there to use in my defense as I'd already picked up most of the consecrated pieces. Then one knew I'd have to get to the church. I could be safe there, for the landlord had said it had been reconsecrated and that it was not haunted. Only the churchyard, and surely the sheep could not get at me if I got in there. The way to the church was to my right and I had to get through the cordon. Still I knew how to do this. Swiftly I scooped the remaining pieces out of my tool bag and swept them towards the sheep on my right. I was lucky, every piece must have scored a direct hit. The way to the church was open and I leapt through, the echoes of the shrieks and the stinking mist, and ran like a madman for the church porch. Behind me the sheep rushed headlong in pursuit. I could hear their sniggering and could feel their icy draft closing on me. And a yard from the porch I fell headlong sprawling on my face on the gravel. I rolled over onto my back raising myself up on my left elbow. The nearest sheep was coming at me fast, eyes gleaming and fangs open to rend. I must have been gibbering with fear then. But some providence guided me. I grabbed at my jacket pocket and clawed out one of the retaining pegs. As if it were a dart I poised it in my hand and threw. The thing was only four or five feet away and I got it right on the forehead. My inane giggled double-top, followed the flash and scream. I scrabbled back to the porch and rose unsteadily to my feet. The sheep had gathered in a semicircle round the porch entry, and the glare of their eyes was combining to hit me like a hammer. I thought, that's what a laser must be like, and tried the church door. It was locked and I was trapped in the porch. I shall never know how I kept control of myself then. How I managed not to run screamingly at them. But somehow I kept control and forced myself to look at the ground and not at their eyes. I believed I would retain my strength for longer that way. And I could sense how near they were to me. Backing right up against the door, I squatted down onto my haunches and counted my pegs. There were twelve in my right-hand pocket but only four in the left. I had filled both pockets and so I must have dropped a lot when I fell over. Or while I was running but whenever it was they were lost. And I was down to those missiles, at best 16 hits. And even then the damn things would reform. My position was desperate and I could think of only one thing to do and I did it. I prayed as I had never prayed before. Both for deliverance and guidance and all the while I was subjected to increasing cold and weakness. As those infernal sheep crowded closer and closer to the porch entrance until I reached the point when I had to move or faint. Fumbling into my pocket I pulled out one of my pegs. Holding it in my fingers like a dart I summoned up my strength, spun round choosing my target and throwing as I did, I blessed all that dart practice at the bell. The peg flew straight and hit. The flash and shriek were followed by an easing of the cold and weakness and I had won a respite but only a brief one. I knew for they were closing in again. Filling the gap and as they did the cold and then the weakness returned. I threw another peg and then three more. Definitely I was warmer and stronger, but how long could this go on? I was down to eleven pegs now. And they were not enough for me to attempt to move from the porch. As I desperately flogged my mind for an answer I became aware of a greater danger. The damn things had started to influence my mind. Slowly it started, gently and steadily it built up. A voice saying, go on. Go on. Throw all the pegs in one go. Clear a path that way. As the voice pounded on like a hammer, I risked another glance at the sheep. They were pulsating madly now, in time with the voice. Go on. Go on. Go on. And all the eyes had combined into one intense beam, that gradually began to beat down what willpower I had left. And I found myself moving like an automaton, towards the porch entrance sliding my feet before me. I was aware of what I was doing, 
but was unable to stop myself. I seemed to be outside myself. Watching as I marched to my doom, and I could not do anything about it. Then my foot caught in an uneven flag, and I stumbled to my knees. The heavy shock of my landing brought me back to myself. And I quickly took the opportunity to throw another peg. And turn my eyes away from the beam. I found I could turn my head, but that was all, I could not move my feet, nor, when I first tried, my arms. I was imprisoned in that red glare while the voice started again, come out. Come out. Come out. And I found myself again compelled to turn my head to the eyes, and then I was moving out to them once again. Sliding my feet in front of me, having no control at all over my movements. Again I watched myself go and again was powerless. Then I was me again moving slowly out into the churchyard where the sheep were waiting. The voice in my head changed to a shriek. No. 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 And I was aware that another force had gripped me and that I was veering off to the left. Then suddenly I had walked right into a square brick built tomb. Catching my leg a sharp blow on the rough edge. It was not much but it was enough for it gave me the chance to grab out my remaining pegs and scatter all but one around me. The voice ceased and I sank to the ground and put my back to the tomb, holding my last peg before me like a dagger. I was suddenly conscious of a bright light away to my left and what I thought was a him, then the nearest of the sheep charged me. As it came it grew in size until it towered over me. Crying out in terror I shot out my right hand and the peg took the thing under the jaw then, in a flashing of light and noise, I fainted. I choked on the brandy they poured down my throat and this brought me round. I was still sitting by the tomb supported by the landlord while the vicar, holding a large cross looked at me anxiously. Can you move? Then we must leave here. Help him up and then get him back to the bell. The others, there were I think, some two dozen of them, needed no second urging. And I was lifted up and supported back to the bell at a fast run. When I was sat down in the lounge and given a very large brandy. We were very worried about you, said the landlord. And so we phoned the vicar. He met us at the churchyard gate and we came in to get you. From what we saw it was as well we did. What happened? What was that standing over you when we came up the path? I took some more brandy and after assuring the vicar that I was feeling up to it I told them the whole story. They listened in silence until I'd finished. Then one said, I wonder if that's what happened to Grandad. You remember he went right off his head? There was a moment of acknowledgement from the others, and then a thought struck me. Who is buried there? Where? asked the vicar. In the tomb, I was propped against. Squire Herring, said the landlord. Is he the squire in the story? Yes, the landlord replied, why do you ask? Don't you think, I asked them all. I am rather in his debt? Again they all murmured agreement and gradually they formed into their own groups and left me with the vicar. He again asked me if I was recovered. I was able to say I was an inclined to bed but I wondered then I tailed off not even wanting to voice a sudden fear that they would follow me to my room. I suppose I didn't want to mention it in case my words gave the fear substance. The vicar caught my drift and said that as far as he was aware unusual happenings were confined to the churchyard and he was certain I'd sleep soundly and in safety. This I am glad to say I did and in the morning walked up to the church for the morning service. As I passed Squire Herring's tomb I doffed my hat to salute to him and then noticed on the ground a rough half-circle of retaining pegs, I picked one up and saw, without surprise, that the end of it was charred. I put it in my pocket to show the vicar after the service. He looked at it gravely and said with conviction that it wasn't only Squire Herring who had been on my side and then said he had something to show me. He led me to the altar and indicated the large window to the right, the squire's memorial window he said. It was a beautiful window and the sun shining through it made the colors live. There was a full-length figure of Christ on the left, 
over his shoulder was a sheep and clustered around him a small flock. He was walking towards a bright pinpoint of light shining in a cleft of some distant hills. The sheep were following him but their heads were all turned towards the rugarde of the window. Each face was a study in absolute evil and all the eyes glared red as fire. 